Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz is only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. And if you're listening in August, you're definitely a hardcore Hornets fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man that once said hello to Pat Riley, David Walker. David, hello. What's up, Doug? That's what I said to Pat. I was like, hey, Pat. No, I said, hey, Pat. So I was like, hey, Doug. Okay. What did Pat say back to you? Hey, how's it going? He Wait, he did not. Well, are you sure that Pat Riley went up on his inflection on the word "hey"? I'm not so Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's why I was so successful. <laughs> you know what I said to uh, Stephen Silas when I saw him last week? Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve O. Hey, coach. What's up? Oh, hey, geez. coach. What's up? Well, the coach is great. Yeah, that's fine. I have a problem with you calling Pat Riley Pat. Hey, well, Pat. that's that was that was the minor. Um, you know, pause for me because he's not a coach right now. I get, we, we decided that once a coach, always a coach. So that would have been fine, but I went with Pat and it went over like really well. I I think you are embellishing the details of that story, but I wasn't (laughs) there. I cannot confirm. I can confirm that Hive Talk Live is now part of the Locked On Podcast Network, hyper local, hyper intelligent sports talk, and not just in the NBA, but they've got Locked On Golf. We have, uh, we're adding uh, more and more NFL teams. We've got fantasy basketball now, headed up by Josh Lloyd from Red Rock Fantasy Basketball. Really smart guy. He's been on this show. So this is a big deal. This Locked On Podcast Network growing. Get on board now. Head over to audioboom.com. Search Locked On uh, to get all of those podcasts. Subscribe to those on iTunes. Uh, We've got a great show ahead. Uh, We're going to talk about should though I posed this question to Reddit and we got some funny answers back. Should the Hornets make a deal for Greg Monroe? Greg Monroe has been mentioned as a good fit for the Charlotte Hornets, not necessarily in any kind of trade rumors. He has been linked to the New Orleans Pelicans because Greg Monroe is from New Orleans, but it's definitely a, a tough situation there in Milwaukee. We're going to talk to Frank Madden from Brewhoop.com, the SB Nation blog on the Milwaukee Bucks, and he is also the host of Locked On Bucks here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we've got a great interview coming up with uh, Chris Kroger, who is the host of Primetime on WFNZ 610, The Fan, now 102.5. They've got an FM signal as well if you're in Charlotte. And uh, we talked about his his history, how he got into radio, uh, his reporting, his sideline reporting for the Hornets, and, and of course we talked about this upcoming season, that interview ahead. You can email your thoughts, your questions straight to us. Buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com is the email address. And we're going to be live this fall again. We're pre-taped right now, but but come fall, we're going to go live again, this time on YouTube. We'll probably be on Facebook 
Uh, you can watch us. You can chat with us. We're hard at work putting that together uh, live on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Go to YouTube, search Hive Talk Live, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for more information about exactly when we are going live. So first up, I want to get David to this interview with Chris Kroger because uh, he's one of the smartest voices in Charlotte sports, hands down. Yeah. Uh, not just Hornets, but definitely on the Hornets. Uh, but he's a smart guy. Yeah, certainly one of the smartest people in the room during the interview for sure. So um, I was a good. He's got good takes and he's got his pulse right, or he's got his fingers on the pulse of, of Charlotte sports. Yeah, he does, and and I really modeled a lot of what we've done or or our philosophies on guys like Chris Kroger who come in and say, look, you know, we're going to talk about what the fans want to talk about, but it it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be hot takey. You know, we can have reasoned discussion on things and and we can bring in stats and and we can talk about things in an in-depth kind of way. Really appreciate what he's doing over there at WFNZ. And we again, we talked about his history, we talked about the future of sports radio, and we talked about the Charlotte Hornets. Take a listen. You grew up around Charlotte. You, yep. went, to, you went to school at Appalachian State, right? Did you study broadcasting yeah, there? I did, yeah. They get a great broadcasting program up there. Um, it's hands-on, which is always, I mean, goes without saying, that should be a prerequisite for broadcasting programs. But uh, you get a lot of broadcasting schools that'll give you like a, or you go to a lot of four-year schools that give you like a journalism degree. And journalism's great, but if you're wanting to get into TV or radio, you need some real hands-on you know, work. And, and App did a great job of that. Elon's got a really good broadcasting program too, digital media. Um, but for a you know public four-year school, tuition's relatively low. Um, we had a student-run radio station up there, which is great. And um, yeah, actually, my, our owners of our, our station group, Beasley Media, George Beasley, um, his they built a new broadcasting building. Of course, after I got out of school, uh, but top of the line stuff. It's named after him. He's he's on the uh, on the board of trustees up there, so they're always pouring money back into it. It's a pretty good program up there. What made you want to go into broadcasting? You know, I just kind of stumbled into it. Honestly, when I was in school, when I was in high school. Um, I actually used to sing in choir and I really like music. And then I went my freshman year, I actually went to East Carolina. East Carolina had a great music program, still does. And I sang in men's choir up there. Maybe I don't know if that's hard to believe or not, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, sang in choir and, uh, it was, I loved it. And then like, I started taking some introductory music courses and I was like, this isn't fun. This is really difficult. This is taking the fun out of it for me. So, uh, I ended up transferring out of ECU, went to, went to app and I went to a, um, like an introductory meeting for the for the radio, student radio station, I thought, all right, this is pretty cool. I love sports. They're doing the basketball games. They're doing the football games. There's, you know, we could do our own talk shows up there once a week. And so I said, well, let's give it a try. And next thing you know, you just kind of fall in love with it. So it's kind of happened. It's so weird how that happens. In college, I started out in journalism yep. and I took a couple of classes. I'm like, this is hard. I don't yeah. like this anymore. Yeah. And I pivoted. And I think... Once you find what you truly love, it's not difficult for you. No, and it's not work anymore. And that's the thing is like, I'm so busy, but I don't feel busy because I like it. It's not, it's fun to me. I get to, you kidding me? I get to talk work for the Hornets and, you know, do an afternoon show here in the city I grew up in that I station that I grew up listening to. So yeah, it's not, it became fun early on and, you know, you have to work at it still. And I still do work at it every day, but yeah, it was, I was the same way. I was like, Oh, I love music. This would be fun. I get to work on music the rest of my life. And then, you know, 
introductory courses. No, no, no. This is way too hard for me. Yeah, and you've come full circle. So you went to App, and then you spent some time in Winston-Salem. Now you're back in Charlotte. You're living yep. the dream. Uh, you're hosting primetime. How did you end up uh, with that gig? It's it's kind of a, I mean, I, I always say this to people. I was up at App, actually, over the summer, and they have a talent institute up there, and now it's starting to spread across the country. And I was the second class to go through it. That was nine years ago now, I guess, almost 10 years ago. And just bringing all sorts of people from the radio industry in there, salespeople, programming people, production people, on-air people. And I remember at that time listening to people tell these stories of how they got into radio or they got into broadcasting. I thought, oh, that's you know, that's all pie in the sky stuff. And, you know, it was just like, it was cheesy, like cliche, like, oh, this just, you know, the right thing happened at the right time. And then for me, it actually was that when I first got out of school. So this is kind of a long story, but tying it all together. First got out of school. I worked at another radio station here in Charlotte. We we brought another sports talk station on the air. I was working like 14 hour days, not sleeping. I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. That's kind of hard to believe. Uh, I was eating crummy food. I was working split shift. And actually, a lot of times I would just work straight through the day. So I'd be there at 6 a.m. I'd leave at like 7 or 8 most nights. And then I would work part-time up in Winston-Salem doing studio hosting for college sports games. I was working for UCLA at the time. So imagine those hours. It's like a, you know, like at earliest it's an 11 o'clock tip-off Eastern time. Right. So two or three days a week after the show would end, I'd drive up to Winston-Salem, do the broadcast, stay the night, crash on my girlfriend's couch, not my wife's couch, but sna- crash on her couch, and then get up at 4.30 in the morning and do it all over again. And I did that for like 10 months. And it was a grind. I mean, it was just it was awful. It was fun, but it was a grind. And um, about ten months after doing that, they gave me a call and said, "Hey, we've never hired, we've never done this before, but we we need a full time producer. Would you be interested?" I said, "Yeah, sure, but I don't think you know I don't think I'm qualified, so I didn't apply." They said, "No, we think you should." So I did, applied, and then got an interview, and then had to go up the next day, and I got thrown in a room. Honestly, a room a production room like this. And they sat me in front of a computer and said, all right, uh, here's a bunch of files. Here's where they live. And uh, here's Adobe Audition. Throw something together. Wow. And so I, did, I was like, freak. I don't get stressed out. I got stressed out. And so five minutes later, he knocks on the door. You got two more minutes. Oh, gosh. So knocks on the door again, 60 seconds. So I'm just slapping something together. And he comes in. This is my soon-to-be boss. But he comes in and he shakes my hand. He said, all right, uh, Good job. I said, you want to listen to it right now? We'll, we'll listen to it later. <laughs> like, oh gosh. You said, yeah, so thanks for coming. So I was up there for like no he, more. He just wanted to make sure that there wasn't a Chris Kroger shaped hole oh, in yeah, the exactly. wall. Yeah, he wanted to make sure I had the, like a bomb didn't explode <laughs> out of the computer. So it was the most terrifying, like I don't, I've never really had that like terrifying job interview. That was it. And so, you know, I, you sweat it out for a couple of days and then I got a call back saying, Hey, can you do a phone interview tomorrow? So I did. Talked on the phone with with somebody for like twenty minutes and um, real casual, conversational. And then literally four or five hours later, I got another call back saying, "Hey, we want to offer you this job." And I was really torn because I had, lo- even though it was a grind, and I wasn't, ma- I was living with my parents, I wasn't making any money. Um, I love Charlotte, and I wanted to be in Charlotte. And so, you know, I, I called somebody in the business that I grown to trust and i said hey what do you think i should do and they said you'd be stupid to not go up there and i didn't love college sports i I do but not in the same way i love like charlotte pro sports obviously especially the nba um so i was really torn but i took the job was up there for three years and then you know as things grew and i was getting more opportunities but it still wasn't truly what i wanted to do um 
you know, I, I gave, uh, I, I saw that the afternoon show was open because I'd still been listening to 610 and um, I shot my now boss DJ an email. I said, hey, you don't know me, but here's who I am. I'm from Charlotte, love Charlotte, want to come back. Um, just give me a shot. Like if you give me a shot, I think I'll do a really good job and you'll be happy that I did. So I sent him my air check and then I didn't expect it to go anywhere. Like I had a couple of common relationships through the company I'd worked for. So I'd hoped that maybe I could work some back channels. Um, but he, he sent me an email back, I think within like two hours that just said, call me and he gave me a cell phone. Wow. So I thought, okay, well that's probably a good sign. So I called him and then, um, he said, Hey, can you come in this Friday? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, can you do a, like a test show? I said, Oh yeah, definitely. I said, I had to clear it with my bosses, but I don't think they'll mind. So they didn't. And then he called me back like two hours later and said, is a really long story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. But uh, he was he called me back like two hours later and said, "Hey, can you actually come in tomorrow? We need somebody tomorrow." I said, "Yeah, I can't. I can't." I said, "I'm sorry. I hope this isn't like poor form, but I can't. I can't. I've got a real job right now. I can't come in tomorrow." <laughs> and plus, I didn't want to like throw something together. You know, is like right. I really wanted to do a good job, and I thought if I get a couple of days to prepare, I'll do a good job. So that Friday, I came in. I think Steve Smith came on the show. Um, who else came on the show? Kendall Gill, I believe, came on the show too. There you go, the Hornets um, connection. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, and then who? I forget who else. But we, you know, we just we did the show. Nobody else. Was, it was a it was Memorial Day weekend, so like nobody was around. And um, I thought it went well, honestly. And then uh, the next, I was supposed to come back in actually the next Monday or Tuesday to fill in. And Tony, my producer, now called me and said, "Hey, we don't need you anymore. Just don't worry about it." And I thought. Okay, that's not a good sign. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, forget about it. So uh, I ended up getting a uh, call back from DJ later on the next week, and he said, hey, can you come up here tomorrow? I did. And then he offered me the job right then and there. So, I mean, it just happened. Like, it was crazy. I, I really was confident if I got a shot, I could do a good job and at least make a good impression. And that's all you can ask for. I didn't expect to, like, have a job offer within a week. And sure enough, I did. So, so, you, so you get the prime time spot. What kind of show did you want? prime time to be and do you think that it's now two years later has it evolved into the the kind of show you wanted it to be you know i think we're still getting there it's funny i always hear um uh lauren michaels you know who's the producer for uh, uh for saturday night live he's been the ep for them forever lauren always says uh it takes at least a year to really find with any and he's talking about tv but i think it's true of anything to really find your voice and i think this last year and a half or so we've really kind of hit our stride and we're still trying to tweak things um you know i liked pack show back in the day but it was college football and college basketball centric and as charlotte's grown i think i'm a testament to this it's a pro sports town now i mean i like college sports i love app state um i love seeing the local teams do well in this in this state but in general charlotte itself is a pro sports town now it's just college sports doesn't move the meter year round the way that it used to so um i wanted to focus more on the panthers more on the hornets um and then you know work in some national stories and just have fun and cut up because um i mean guys are listening in their cars and you know life is tough sometimes you just want to you know it doesn't mean you can't have thoughtful hard-hitting conversations sometimes we do that sometimes but in general we like to laugh and bust each other's chops and and screw around and talk some hornets and panthers every day you said in other interviews that you you are a fan of the Hornets, you yeah. are a fan of the Panthers. How do you balance your fan perspective with your obligations as a radio journalist? Yeah, I think it's funny because honestly what I've always envisioned is being kind of the voice for Charlotte sports fans and I think I have an opportunity there and it's funny I always get pushed back from um 
from fans in this area are transplants who aren't Panthers fans, so they don't, or they're not Hornets fans, so they don't get it. And you know, it's always, oh, Kroger's such a homer, or Kroger's, you know, all he cares. About. It's like, yeah, I do, because quite honestly, I feel like in this town for the longest time, especially in the afternoon slot, it's been a bit of a revolving door where you know people didn't really care one way or another about you know how the Panthers did or how the Hornets did and I, I that was always a frustration for me so I try and you know bring that passion and energy and sometimes there is frustration it's not always rah rah I mean there is frustration sometimes of man I wish this team would have done that or I wish they would have gone that route so um I think that's the that's the one thing is being willing to be critical without being you know without without being cutting about it you know there are there's there are people I think throughout the years on FNZ and across I mean it's like this in radio in, in general people just want to be um, mean-spirited for the sake of being mean-spirited. It's not to be critical to see you know, an actual change. It's, I'm going to be critical because I want to get a rise out of people, or I want to be critical because it's just easier to do it that way. And so I try and be critical when the moment calls for it, but also you know, represent a Charlotte sports fan because I feel like for the longest time here, they just didn't have a real voice that understood where they came from in terms of just being a budding sports town. Describe, walk us through your process because you you said earlier in the interview that that it is it is work it is a mm-hmm. job you you have to put a lot into each broadcast work us through or talk us through that process before your show. So it, it's a little different, obviously, for the talk format. So if we're talking just doing the primetime show three to seven, honestly, it's I try and have just an osmosis about me, and so I try to just be a sponge and soak up everything. And you know, I'll read an article here or there. I'm not constantly, you know, cramming and studying, you know, an hour. I think some guys like to do that. That's not my way of doing it. I think it's harder to do that. But, you know, there are some guys who come in two hours before the show and it's just hardcore, cram, cram, cram. And I try to just kind of slowly take everything in, which, you know, my wife hates sometimes because, I mean, you know what I mean? You're like, you're constantly on Twitter. Oh, I know. Con- you know. I know. You're constantly consuming some sort of content. But I think it's better that way. And I also, um, you know, kind of going back to that point earlier, we're guys so guys like movies guys like music guys like tv you know it's so pop culture stuff like that i'm always taking in stuff other than sports and i also think all this stuff is loosely loosely relate related to so it's all entertainment yeah exactly and so like yo you know you watch this and it it turns into a topic idea for the show so my brain's just kind of constantly turning and you know sometimes it works where, hey, I watched this, let me try and turn this into a show topic if other times it falls flat. But yeah, I'm, I'm always just trying to constantly take stuff in. You have your finger on the pulse of fans. Uh, as, as a radio host, you hear from a lot of fans on social media, but also on your show as well. What's the question you hear most about the Hornets these days? You know, it's, I think it's, it's, I don't want to say it's lazy, but it's an easy thing for fans to think. And it's funny now because you're seeing you're seeing the bad side of it with OKC, but it's th- it's that. Hey, how come we can't be OKC? How come we can't be Golden State? Get player X. Yeah, why, you know how come they're able to do X, Y, and Z? And you know, you know Philadelphia. I've heard some. I, I wouldn't say a large portion of fans, but very a very vocal minority group of fans who would say, well, "Look what the 76ers have done. It's starting to bear fruit." And I mean, no, it's not. I mean, it might ultimately. Who knows? We'll. See. I mean, I think you still got to wait a few more years on that. Um, and even then, who knows what they're what they're going to be? So many variables. Yeah, and and same thing with. I love what what Minnesota's done. I like what Milwaukee's done. But Milwaukee wasn't even a playoff team last year. Minnesota certainly wasn't anywhere close to being a playoff team. They didn't even get thirty wins last year. 
and people are trying to you know say they're the baby warriors and it's I mean can you get to a playoff appearance first so well here's what I say you know they have a strategy yeah now, you may disagree with the strategy right. but there are teams operating professional teams that are operating right now without any strategy right oh no for sure and I think that you know people again they fans it's easy to do you latch onto a star or you latch on to a core of guys and flash and you know Zach Levine is winning dunk contests left and right it's just easy to look at that and say how come he's not our guy but Zach Levine overall in today's NBA is still he's got limitations to his game he's not a guy that you're going to build your roster around he's not he's certainly not an upgrade at point guard over a guy like Kemba Walker at this point in his career so I don't know there's somebody that's one of my big frustrations and you know Again, it doesn't mean you have to agree, with, like you said, you don't have to agree with the strategy, but to act like there is no strategy or that their strategy is outright idiotic, I think, you know, the results over the last three years, for the most part, would disagree with that. And, you know, I go back to the Marco Bellinelli trade uh, a couple, you know, right at draft night and trading away the 22nd pick. And again, who knows what Malachi Richardson could be? Maybe he turns into a decent wing player in the NBA, but most people didn't watch him outside of five or six games in, in April this year. And so you saw him make a run. And I think the other thing that helps in this area, too, is they played Carolina. So if, if UNC wasn't even in the Final Four and it was Syracuse versus you name the team, I'm not even sure how many people even really truly know who Malachi Richardson is. So I think that was one of my big frustrations of, I mean, this is a bad draft. Everybody had agreed it was a bad draft, especially not deep whatsoever. And, 20, and for a team that historically doesn't draft all that well, Okay, you trade away a 20-second pick for a, a proven player, a veteran in this league, who can be a good bench player. Nobody's pretending. I don't think he's anything other than that. But he's a known quantity at a fixed price, which in today's NBA, I mean, that's a hard thing to find. Very difficult. And I think it's difficult to replace what Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, and Al Jefferson gave to the Hornets last season. That's a lot of turnover. Uh, in terms of your reserves, do you think that they've done a good enough job replacing what they lost last or this offseason I don't as it stands right now but I also don't think it's a huge drop off I think the things you obviously need to see is a guy like Marco Bellinelli bouncing back to close to what he was in San Antonio when he was a three-point champion a few years ago there's a guy who's a career 38 percent three-point shooter I mean he's he in this system playing heavy minutes could easily hit 100 threes this year I mean, I, I just could see, I mean, that could easily happen, but he's got to have that type of season, I think, for the bench to be lifted up. Jeremy Lamb, we saw him and Jeremy Lin last year in the first two months of the year be the highest scoring backcourt off the bench in the Eastern Conference last year. I mean, it's crazy. They were averaging 22 points per game at one point in October and November. And then obviously, Jeremy Lamb, we saw the other stuff creep in where a lack of defense, just a lack of attentiveness. Um, he, you know, he has those moments where he just sulks and you know goes and you know he kind of shuts down and you know his minutes dwindled there were games where he just flat out wasn't playing at all Troy Daniels started getting his minutes so we saw Jeremy the good Jeremy Lamb but it was a bit of a flash in the pan but if you could get that for an extended period of time this year then I think I mean he's got all the tools but how many more years are you going to keep saying this with Jeremy Lamb about the upside thing and potential thing? Because we're getting to the point with him where this is who he is. He's a guy that can't get out of his own way. Well, it's, an, it's a good reminder for fans that for teams that don't have an established big three stars, that October, November, and December are like an extended training camp. Oh, You're yeah. still trying to figure yep. out who's going to pop. Yeah, and, and especially for Coach Clifford. you know, He's a guy that ultimately is going to tighten up his rotation, ultimately going to play the guys who bring it on both ends of the floor, who playing smart basketball, 
share the ball, don't turn it over, are invested, at least defensively, doesn't mean you're a great defensive player, but at least you're trying to be a part of what the team concept is. And, you know, you're out there playing smart basketball. And as the season went on, Jeremy Lamb just wasn't, <laughs> for, I mean, sadly, that just wasn't his, his vibe. So that, that dwindled. But I th- and, of course, Roy Hibbert, too. You know, I think Roy has the potential not only to have a good season, but maybe by the end of it, maybe by the All-Star break, we're talking about him being being the starter for the Hornets. And I could also foresee a situation where, depending on the matchups, any given night, Roy's the starter one night, Cody could be the starter another night. I don't know. I don't know Coach Clifford. I, I, I need to ask him this. I don't know his mindset or approach on, do you want to get guys in a rhythm and an expectation of what their role is going to be? We saw P.J. Harrison last year technically be a starter, but you know he was logging the first few minutes of the first quarter, uh, or most of the first quarter, and then checking out early in the second quarter, and then you know getting that those better offensive players out on the floor. He was just filling a role defensively. Maybe that happens with Roy Hibbert. I don't know because I know Coach Clifford has always said from his standpoint he likes to go with the Spurs model, which is have your five best two-way players on the floor to open the game, and then. After that, you can start substituting for whatever um, whatever situations call for. So Roy Hibbert's another one, but I mean five million dollars. It's a one year deal, so that's the thing that stinks. If he really plays plays great this year, you don't have him locked in. But heck, if he plays great for one year at five million dollars, I don't I don't know how much you worry about that. Great Hornets analysis, and you can hear much more on on primetime and WFNZ now with an FM. FM. Yeah, FM one hundred two point five. That's that's amazing. It's now, a, it's it, it's needed in Charlotte. Yeah, we and need it, it. it make no mistake, it's not a giant flamethrower of an FM signal, but it is. It's covering. I got. We were driving down to Panthers training camp the other day. We got it all the way to Kings Mountain, pretty clear. I get it out in Monroe. There are pockets where you won't get it. If you do, flip over to 610. I've got HD radio in my truck, which is great if you get that. And we have it on 103.7 HD2, which is our sister station, the country station. Huge signal. You can get it way out past Salisbury, sometimes all the way down to the beach. So if you have HD radio, 103.7 HD2, you can use the app too, which is great. Um, iPhone or Android device. And uh, yeah, if you're within around the Outer Belt section of, of, of Charlotte, 485, 102.5, you can lock it in. It sounds pretty good. That was Chris Kroger. He's the host of Primetime on WFNZ. You can listen to that on 610 AM or 102.5 FM from 3 o'clock PM to 7 o'clock PM. And uh, great show and great guest. Had a lot of interesting things to say. And that's just part one. I didn't even mention that before the interview. That's part one. We've got more from Chris on the Hornets and uh, his work on the sidelines. He's a sideline reporter for uh, the Hornets radio yeah. coverage. So we've got that coming right. up uh, later in the week. So you definitely want to stick around for that entire interview. But he had some interesting things to say about the Hornets at the end of that uh, of that part one, David. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Roy Hibbert, and that's a guy that we've been looking at to make a big impact and maybe have a bounce back year. You know, I'm curious, Doug, we've talked about him coming off the bench so much and being kind of the big owl replacement off the bench. But I mean, you guys hit on a little bit playing some of those starting minutes, right? It seems like um, when you're looking at that, I mean, it, you think that's a possibility. I mean, it's certainly in spots, but you wonder how, how much you'll get. It will be interesting to hear what Steve Clifford's take on this is when the Hornets get into training camp. But I, I keep seeing the question over and over from fans, should Roy Hibbert uh, or, or not should Roy Hibbert start necessarily, although I have seen that question. But the question I keep seeing is, can Roy Hibbert replace what the Hornets lost in Al Jefferson? And I just don't think he can offensively. 
I think his offense took a big step back uh, the past couple of years, and I don't think that that's something you can turn back. That efficiency that Al Jefferson gave you, you can't turn that kind of offensive efficiency over to Roy Hibbert anytime soon. We're going to talk about Greg Monroe coming up in a few minutes. That's a guy I could see that could replace what Al Jefferson gave this team in that playoff series and throughout the year, whether it was off the bench or starting, that ability to throw mm-hmm. the ball in there and and have a, a near guaranteed score. That's that's some or or a guy that can draw a double team. Roy Hibbert's not going to draw double teams, so no, no he can't replace no. that. Yeah, so in Greg Monroe, I mean, you don't really see him as a full time starter, though, right? Greg Monroe. Yeah. If if the Hornets were to acquire him, not necessarily. I think Milwaukee had some success with Greg Monroe as a bench player, and and mm-hmm. I I, I want to get to that. I want to get to that interview we have with Frank Madden before I give my like full analysis because he has some really interesting uh, opinions yeah. on Greg Monroe and his fit in Milwaukee and what kind of player he is that I think a lot of fans would be interested in hearing, and then I can give my take. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to read a few of your comments on Reddit. As I said, I made a post there, should the Hornets make a deal for Craig Monroe? A couple of comments here. Kublar says, no, 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 no. Cody Zeller has only played full-time center for one year. We've got... um, Let's see, who else? Uh, Biz Gilwalker says, no, please, for the love of God, no. Uh, what, whatever another post about okay. this topic is brought up, I'm just going to copy and paste this and give you credit for it. Please, God, no. Uh, adding on to the other no's, pretty sure I've heard. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've never heard anyone say yes to this question. <laughs> wow. Uh, we've got an absolutely not. Uh, another poster mm. says gross. Uh, one says please, God, no. And uh, this user says I wouldn't want to give up anybody on our roster for him. So, so wow. So uh, so, so listen. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about this because I think it's interesting how uh, unified at least this yeah. particular uh, uh, part of the fan base here on this Reddit page is about not wanting to see Greg Monroe in Charlotte. Let's let's get to the interview and then we're going to talk about this afterwards. Again, this is with Frank Madden. He is the editor of BrewHoop.com the SB Nation blog on the Milwaukee Bucks. So he was up close and personal with the Greg Monroe experience in Milwaukee. He's also the host of Locked On Bucks. So let's uh, let's take a listen. Mitchell Maurer on BrewHoop.com said that Greg Monroe was one of the most divisive Bucks in recent memory. Do you agree with that sentiment? I don't know about divisive. I think he's uh, – I mean, I think that would imply that, that – some people think he's terrible and some people think he's great. Um, and I think the general view of him is pretty consistent. And that is that he's a productive player and he's very good offensively. Um, but he probably just doesn't fit that well in Milwaukee. Um, he's been a kind of lightning rod in the sense that obviously he was a huge, you know, big name signing and it hasn't really worked as far as like the team hasn't won more games, but I think he was also, kind of scapegoated to a large extent. Um, and so I think it's just a question of, you know, finding a, a better fit moving forward, but it's certainly not necessarily a critique of, of him showing up and not being who you know, realistically he always has been. So why do you feel like that he was not a fit for the Milwaukee, for that Milwaukee Bucks roster? Yeah, I think well, a couple things. I think uh, defensively is the obvious one, just because the Bucks 
uh, the Bucks, you know, got away with or, or, you know, excelled with Valdez Pachulia, who obviously is not, you know, a traditional rim protector, uh, super mobile guy uh, in 2014-15 season. They were a top five defense. They played kind of a, a swarming kind of switching scheme that's kind of high risk. It's maybe a little bit like what the Hawks did last year. Um, it, it can be exploited when it's not, you know, when when the the uh, when the swarming isn't going very well, or it's, uh, or if guys are a little bit off in their rotations and you can give up lots of threes, um, and you have to be pretty disciplined in it. And last year we saw a drop off and really, I mean, I think they were probably going to, you know, given it's a little bit of a gimmicky thing, I think they were probably going to drop off a little bit anyway. You were putting in Jabari Parker over Jared Dudley effectively from the year before, and that's a huge drop off defensively as well. So, I think, you know, it's, it's just a, a number of things working. I think teams adapted a bit to what the Bucks are doing and, you know, were able to kind of, um, find soft spots. And I don't think the Bucks were necessarily as, as good at the point of attack last year anyway than, uh, than they were the prior year. So, and then you add kind of Greg on top of that playing major minutes. And, um, obviously he's not a room protector. And I think he's also just, you know, I mean, Zaz has a very, very smart defensive guy in terms of just you know being able to yeah i i call him a, a paint deter rather than a rim protector he kind of just he knows when to you know 2.9 and he i think he had one of as many three, three defensive three second calls as anybody in the league and uh and you know he just he just figured knows how to kind of keep keep teams from getting to where they want and and especially you know kind of walling off dribble penetration despite his lack of foot speed and greg just kind of struggled with that he's he's just not you know a great player in that regard and then I think offensively, you know, he's really good. I mean, I think in fourth quarters, he had some of he was like, had some crazy shooting efficiency. You know, he can go and get you buckets. You know, he single-handedly kind of put away the, the game where they beat the Warriors and snapped their streak just by basically manhandling Draymond Green in the post. Um, but I think also people, you know, want to sort of see the team that offense revolve more around Jabari Giannis and, and Chris Middleton. And so they don't necessarily see the need for kind of a traditional low post center, especially given the Bucks don't have a ton of spacing to, to put around him. So I think it's just kind of a few different things. And then him, you know, being able to opt out next summer um, just means that, you know, okay, well, if it hasn't worked out, then do you want to try to make the best of it? And then just, you know, let him presumably walk for nothing or, you know, can you get value? And obviously the the, the difficult thing has been trying to get value for him. since obviously uh, the Bucks have been looking for some time and, and haven't found a deal they like. So he gets, uh, sent to the bench, fifty plus games into the season uh, for Miles Plumley, who they just re-signed for uh, a pretty substantial dollar amount. How did Greg Monroe respond to being benched? You know, he didn't say anything. I mean, he's a guy that I think is, you know, I think most people know Greg's a, a pretty high character guy. He he wants to win, and he hasn't won yet. He's never been to the playoffs. He came to the Bucks expecting that you know this was going to be his chance to to finally get into the postseason, and uh, unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out last year. Uh, you know, he, he him and Michael Carter Williams, you know, to their credit, they they both went to the bench and and both played played well coming off the bench. Um, you know, Greg's stint didn't didn't last particularly long, um, but they played very well with Miles Plumlee as kind of just a, a rim diver. Um, with Giannis and, and Jabari and, and Chris. So I think that's also part of the reason why, uh, you know, Bucks fans are, are okay with, with moving Greg. Cause I think the idea of, you know, having a, uh, just a guy who's going to finish out youth and, and crash the offensive glass and, you know, not really need touches to be effective is, is, uh, appealing in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, manner speaking. So 
Uh, now, is Mount Plumley worth $52 million? No, I don't think that, that anybody was particularly thrilled with that one. Right now, Cody Zeller seems to be locked into the starting position, starting center spot for the Charlotte Hornets. If Greg Monroe were traded to Charlotte, do you think that he would be amenable to a bench role? So it's it's definitely a question, and, and again, I don't know. Uh, you know, if, if Greg Monroe said, "Hey, I'll come off the bench. I'll be a twenty-five minute per game guy." Um, you know, if that's what we need to win. I mean, I think he would do that if if it came to that this season. Um, but would he be, you know, planning to opt out the following summer and go find a place where he can play more? I'm sure that would be in his mind, um, even if he wasn't necessarily. Uh, you know, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to publicly bicker and and you know use the press to try to get himself traded. But I think certainly he uh, he probably wouldn't mind finding a better you know better fit for himself and place that he can you know probably put up better numbers and be better complemented by other guys uh, moving forward. Which you know may or may not be a team like Charlotte, but obviously uh, with their history with with Big Al, they, you could say that uh, they have a, a way of making guys like that work. Frank, uh, Greg Monroe was involved in a couple of high-profile incidents where it looked like uh, him and his teammates were not on the same page. I'm thinking of uh, there was one particular bench altercation that O.J. Mayo had to get involved in, and then a high-five gate where he didn't high-five Chris Middleton on a free throw, and, and there was much to do made about that. Do you think that those incidents were characteristic of Greg Monroe's relationship with his teammates there in Milwaukee and his locker room presence, or in your mind, were they uncharacteristic? I'd say probably uncharacteristic. I mean, Middleton's one of his best friends, maybe his best friend on the team. Uh, they knew each other from, from Detroit previously. Chris, um, you know, I think the familiarity was the main reason that was one of the strong reasons that, that Greg came to Milwaukee in the first place. So, yeah, it was a little weird. I mean, Middleton, I think Middleton and Monroe, I think both probably got frustrated at times with, with where the T-Bucks were as a team. Um, and, uh, you know, Middleton occasionally had moments where his body language wasn't great. Greg, as you mentioned, had a couple of moments where, where his body language wasn't necessarily great. Um, but, you know, there were other games where, you know, Greg was on the bench. There's an overtime game against the Hawks where he, he um, they won the game. I think this was right around the playoff. The, uh, the uh, all-star break, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, he was on the bench the entire, most of the fourth quarter, I think, in overtime. And, um, you know, Giannis played really well and they went to, you know, they were ended up winning. And, you know, he was jumping off the bench and, you know, cheerleading as, as much as anybody. So, uh, you know, again, I think he just probably wants to be in a situation where he's winning games and he feel like his, his role is defined and that he's, you know, a major contributor. Um, I don't think he expects that he has to be, you know, the number one option or something like that. Um, but I'm sure if, if he could find a place where he starts, I'm sure that would definitely be, you know, preferable. Because again, if he's having a fine, hard time finding a, uh, 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 you know, a place to, to land right now in a trade, obviously you kind of wonder. I mean, we always assume that, well, with the contracts going with the way they are, that he would opt out um, of his deal next summer. He's owed, I think, around 18 million uh, in the seven in the 17-18 season if he opts in. Um, you know, might he actually let it ride for another year? Um, and I think a lot of it probably depends on where he is because you know this is the guy who turned down a, a big contract extension to take a qualifying offer so that he could basically determine his own fate um, when he was in Detroit. And so he's, he's bet on himself before and obviously taking it uh, a two plus one is another example of him betting on himself rather than just sort of taking as much money as possible. So um, I think he certainly probably, you know, as much as he might not say he's thinking about that stuff, I'm sure he's thinking about, you know, where, where he's going to end up and um, New Orleans has been mentioned as a place he might obviously want to go because he is from New Orleans and, 
and uh, playing next to Anthony Davis could be appealing, but that's certainly not to say that's the only place. What do you think that Milwaukee would be looking to get back in in a trade for Greg Monroe? Would they want players, picks, a combination of both? It's a good question. I think, uh, you know, when you look at their roster right now, um, they could use another wing. Um, they the, the irony of, of trading Monroe, if you don't get another big guy back, you're probably thinner than you want to be up front. Um, so, you know, whenever I've looked at the Hornets roster, I've always immediately kind of focused in on, on uh, Jeremy Lamb and, and Spencer Hawes. Um, now the question is, are those guys actually good enough that, you know, you'd want to have them on your roster and pay them and can they actually, you know, make a difference for you? Um, and that I, I don't know, right? I don't know if the Bucks would, would like either of those guys um, enough to, to, to trade Monroe. Um, I think, you know, picks, I think, I think they would, you know, they would certainly consider maybe, you know, lesser players in combination with, with uh, some kind of pick. Um, I don't think they're looking to just add picks though. Um, they are a team that, you know, is trying to, uh, you know, get, get, you can accelerate their, their trajectory, let's say, rather than, you know, kind of stay rebuilding. Um, but obviously with a guy like Greg, if you think he's a good chance to leave in a year, then, you know, you can't be too picky. So, um, I think in terms of like assets on, on the, the Hornets current roster, um, you know, I think I would just imagine Cody Zeller might be too, too valuable, um, unless you had some big contract you're trying to dump with him. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of more modest assets, you know, Lamb and, and Spencer Hawes might be, um, you know, guys that, I mean, you know, I heard around the draft, obviously that the idea was that they might try to move those two guys. I don't think, you know, they're on, they're not on bad contracts per se, but obviously if you don't expect them to be real contributors, then, then there's certainly guys you might try to move for, for somebody who is. So, um, so I think something around those guys, um, could, could make some sense, especially compared to, you know, what we've, what we haven't heard being offered by anybody else. Last question, Frank, you watched. Greg Monroe up close and personal last season. If the Hornets were to make a deal to acquire Greg Monroe, what kind of player would fans expect to see next season? Well, I think Hornets fans are are probably more used to seeing a guy like him than than most, just because um, you know a guy like like Al Jefferson is is similar in many ways. Um, you know, a guy that on the one hand. Obviously, is uh, not a, a stout defender, is not a, a premier rim defender, uh, but a guy who will rebound, um, a guy who uh, offensively you can just throw the ball to, and you know either he'll command a double team or he'll be able to get uh, good shots in the paint. And uh, you know he, he's a guy that sometimes frustrates you because it seems like he misses a lot of layups. Then you know you look at his box score at the end of the day, and you know he's a guy that that scores efficiently. Um, and you know, he doesn't necessarily have a, a mid-range jumper that he's going to use a lot. He was, he was solid, especially at the beginning of the season, uh, for kind of from like 15 foot range a year ago. Uh, but he's a guy that I think, you know, you can just throw the ball to. And, and again, he's, he, he's able to kind of create that gravity that, that forces defense to react to him. And if they don't, um, you know, he's got all sorts of up and unders and spin moves and, um, you know, the sort of footwork that, that very few guys, uh, who are 6'11 and, you know, 260 pounds, uh, possess. So, uh, definitely a very high skilled guy and also a very skilled passer. Um, you know, a guy that if he does get double teamed or, um, if he's got the ball and he's facing up, you know, if teams are cutting, uh, he can definitely find guys and, and create easy baskets for people. So it's kind of one of those things. I mean, I think Greg Monroe is a very useful NBA player, even if he's not, you know, a, a 35 minute per game franchise cornerstone, like he might've been, you know, in the NBA of, of 10 or 15 years ago. But, um, but I do think there's absolutely a place for a guy that came in the league and, I think it's just largely a matter of, of finding uh, finding a good fit for him, and 
Um, certainly, if you know, I don't know if the Hornets are, are a team like this. You know, certainly the Pelicans, you can put a shot blocker at our power forward next to him. I think that certainly helps. Um, but certainly, when when you look at what Steve Clifford has done with with Al Jefferson and the way that they've figured out how to make that defense work in the past, um, I think that's certainly a you know a good archetype for saying, okay, you know, the Hornets are a team that could probably add a guy like Greg and and not you know suffer uh, a big drop off defensively. Frank Madden is the editor of BrewHoop.com, the SB Nation blog on the Milwaukee Bucks. You can follow him on Twitter at BrewHoop. He's also the host of Locked on Bucks right here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Frank, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. We've talked now with Locked on Lakers about Roy Hibbert and now with Frank Madden about Greg Monroe. We keep calling on these guys to talk about players they really don't want to talk about. So we really, we yeah. really, we really appreciate them taking the time out. But a couple of interesting things from this interview: a, a perspective on Greg Monroe that honestly surprised me because I think I shared a lot of the same sentiments that we read earlier from Reddit. That look, this guy mm-hmm. can't play defense. He he's you know he's he's Al Jefferson, but he but he plays even worse defense, and he can't score effectively. The NBA's passed him by. It's Etc. Etc. But I, I got to take a step back from that perspective and go. Well, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he played so poorly defensively in Milwaukee, David, because he was such a poor fit with how they play defense. Yeah, that's the thing for me. It was a pretty bad fit up there going in. I'm a bit more bullish on him than. Uh, well, it wouldn't take much to be more bullish than than the Reddit comments. But I, I just think, again, we talk about defensive concerns coming in here with players. And, and to me, when you have Steve Clifford, that goes to the bottom of the list for me. Uh, anytime you talk about a player coming in, I think he can get some the best out of them defensively. I mean, he did it without Jefferson, right? Uh, and he did it probably with Jeremy Lin, too. So, uh, among other guys, I think that is uh, the least of my concerns when you're talking about it. But um, maybe some of the attitude stuff, it could be a concern as well. But that's you know, you often hear that. It's just a lot of, so much of it has to do with fit and culture and, and what's going on around them. And, and you can't really control that uh, when you're in it. I mean, certainly as a player, they get into a funk and it just, it's just not a good experience. So I don't know. I mean, um, I think the contract is probably a concern. And I don't know how many of those comments were based, those Reddit comments were around the comments, I mean, around the, uh, the salary, Doug, but uh, they sounded more just off of, of the general play. But I, I mean, I don't know. You, you, so you've kind of turned a corner on this. You've kind of looking at it from a different angle now. Well, I think that when you take a look at how Milwaukee played defense, it was a swarming defense. It was an aggressive defense, especially up front. And that leaves a guy like Greg Monroe, who is slow-footed for his for the modern NBA center, certainly mm-hmm. uh, uh, more than more than Cody Zeller. Then, yeah, you're, if you leave him alone on an island or you put him in dangerous pick-and-roll situations over and over and over again, he's going to get exposed on defense. But we haven't seen that type of aggressive defense from the Charlotte Hornets, from Steve Clifford, and I don't expect to see it moving forward. I think you are, if the effort is there, which I think it would be with Greg Monroe, even more so, I think, than, than Al Jefferson on the defensive end, then you can scheme around his defensive deficiencies and and we've seen that time and time again and if and this is a big if this is probably the biggest if for me with Greg Monroe if he were okay with coming off the bench then then I think he's certainly a much better op, uh, better option than Roy Hibbert offensively yeah and and it's yeah, a consistent sure. scoring presence inside 
that I think the Hornets could benefit from. Also, when you talk about the contract, he's he's he has an option which he'll yeah. almost certainly exercise. So it's not a long-term situation with him. And if you can flip Hawes, who has an option, who probably, I would think, Hawes uh, might exercise it if he doesn't feel like the, that there's any market out there for him at all. But there is a danger that he could exercise it. That's another you know, $6 million that you've, you've got in cap. And Jeremy Lamb, if you, who has uh, $14 million in cap for the next two seasons. So if you could clear that money – and and Greg Monroe opts out, then you've set yourself up in 2017 to make it run at one or multiple free agents. Because right now, if you look at the cap situation, the Hornets have a lot invested the next few years. So they're not going to be necessarily in a great cap position to move on, you know, more than one or two free agents or one or two, you know, like top or mid-level tier guys. So that could open up some things for the Hornets if they were able to make that deal. Yeah, it's kind of weird because normally when you look at a guy like this who's got an option or you know would be a free agent after the first year, you'd, you'd say you want to bring him in. This is what I would view it, and this is what they did with Batum. You want to bring him in so he's there the whole season, right? Goes through training camp completely, really gets, uh, really gets embedded in the team and the culture and the town and all that stuff so that you're kind of a leg up. You've got to step forward in the pitch when it comes to the following off season, but the way you're posing it, it's like, well, we, you know, it's, it's okay. I mean, if, if you don't want to stick around or if you don't want to stick around at that money, um, you know, we'll take you for, for one year. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right. To, to look at him like that, because it would seem like more of a, a more of an impact player, I guess, or at least that's what they're, they were trying to do with a trade but you but it sounds like you're leaning towards more i think you could what what interests me about it again and this is if he would be comfortable coming off the bench because i think cody zeller right right, i think cody zeller is is solidified as the starting center i think he works really well two-way player and and still has much much more room to improve still young improved every year he he has the right to that starting center position at least at the beginning of the year. But if he were able to come off the bench, Greg Monroe, you have a consistent scoring presence inside off the bench, which you wouldn't have necessarily with Roy Hibbert, and you are able to clear some cap space for the next season. I don't see any I don't see as big a problem with that as some of the the users on Reddit do. We want to know your thoughts, so send us your thoughts. Buzz buzz at hivetalklive.com or go to that Reddit post. It's right at the top of the page and and tell us uh if we're we're idiots or not. And uh, we're, we're look, we'll accept that, and and we'll we'll try to respond best we can. Be we've certainly, yeah, we've last. certainly been called worse, but we'll we'll talk more about this through the summer. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, if you don't mind, give us a five star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. If you'd like to advertise with us, email buzzbuzz at Hive Talk Live. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nations at thehive.com. We're back on Friday with more from Chris Kroger and and much more. We've got so much more in August to talk about when it comes to the Charlotte Hornets. We're going to do positional breakdowns. Much more ahead for this show. Thanks so much for listening for David and Chris and Frank and myself. Go Hornets. Go America. Have a great Tuesday. Let's Swarm Charlotte. Napa know-how.
It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17